1: Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi,
2: Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Dan.
1: Uh, very excited for today's show. Uh, switching my story subject matter up quite a bit today. Mm. Uh, it's, it's more of a, a mystery episode today mystery um, science
2: theater Uh no just kidding
1: more like an unsolved mysteries
2: vibe oh no i hated that show i still hate that show
1: i love that show it uh.
2: scared me so much
1: well today's gonna these are creepy stories they're just weird stories what the hell went on here uh as opposed to like you know haunted necessarily ghosts it's just like it's just a true mystery like just different And and I really like it. I really like it. Okay. And I know you said um, that you have more traditional stories to balance out the mysteries, which is good.
2: Somebody has to save you.
1: Oh, boy. Just kidding.
2: (laughs) Uh, I have three stories this week, just kind of switching it up a little bit. Uh, My first story is maybe potentially about a ghost, like stuck in a loop, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't explored that in a while. And then um, my second game, my second game, my second story involves a parlor game. Okay. Called Up Table Up, which I had never heard of. I've never heard of that. Yeah. No, it's just a little quick hitter. But I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then my third and final story, um, I really dig it. A different take on being in a haunted cemetery. Like okay. what the reason that they're there in the first place is different than other reasons we've explored.
1: Sounds good. Sounds like it's going to be a fun show today.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: And I know, and I know you have a couple announcements. I know this. This is um. You know, last episode was the the one—or this is the last episode, excuse me, that we've recorded before tickets go on sale for the uh, wet-hot Bad Magic summer camp. So mm-hmm. on that front, you know, hopefully uh, by the time you hear this, we're super happy and not thinking we try to do
2: too much. If, if you guys get to the a- April episode, <laughs> <laughs> if all of a sudden you're like— and the first episode of April and Dan and I are just like, womp, womp, womp. so we have some not great news. <laughs> <laughs> You'll know what went wrong. It's yeah. like, nobody died. We just bit off more than we could chew. But hopefully not. Hopefully not. I'm yeah. going to say, I'm, I just don't even want that negative energy out in the universe. So yeah. I'm going to get like a lot of crystals for prosperity, like citrine. <laughs> and I'm going to surround myself in them all day when the tickets go on sale. I'm like to have them in my pocket, on my head. They're going to be,
1: Ooh.
2: I'm going to sneak them into your shoes tomorrow.
1: Cool. You should just have like a like a whole suit, like a crazy ball ballroom dress made oh, out. Oh, that's a great idea. What is it? Citrine,
2: mm-hmm. just
1: made out of crystal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. just uh, yeah, just surround yourself, just coat yourself. Maybe some copper. Grind it into a lotion. Just rub it into your skin.
2: Okay. Maybe some red jasper is a good idea. Okay. Um. Also, very exciting thing that happened to us over the weekend. Not us. Yeah. Me. And Monroe, she got a necklace and we were in the store and she was like, oh, do you know what crystal this is? I was like, I sure do. That's Amber, baby. And she was like, well, like, what's this one? I was like, okay, well, when we get home, we can get out one of the crystal books. And she was like, we have crystal books. I was like, yes, where have you been, child of mine?
1: Uh, so the funny. next day
2: she came downstairs. I, was sitting, I heard you too. Yep. I was sitting at the dining room table. She goes, hey, where are those crystals book? I was like, okay, over oh, here on the bookshelf. We got it out. We sat on the floor. My heart was so full.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic.
2: It really was great.
1: Now, do you have any other announcements or no? Yes,
2: I do. Uh, This month's charity, last call for New Orleans Community Fridges. Mm -hmm. Next month, we'll be donating to a different charity. $13,900 donated to the New Orleans Community Fridges, and then an additional $1,500 set aside to fund the to-be-named scholarship fund that we're building. Uh, New Orleans Community Fridges, though, anybody in need of food or drink in the New Orleans community can help themselves to these fridges that you can find all over New Orleans at any time, no questions asked. Uh, If you'd like to donate, learn more, host a fridge, you can uh, learn more at uh, nolacommunityfridges.org. Perfect.
1: Okay. Now, a quick merch announcement before setting up the show. Uh, Taking lounging to the next level with an awesome new set of Scared to Death loungewear. Fun ghost pattern printed on your choice of lounge pants and or traditional kimono. Super cool lounge set. You can head to badmagicmerch.com to check it out.
2: And And you could just pair it with uh, your awesome Scared to Death podcast socks. Look at these babies. mm -hmm, Let's see. Fun. Here we go. There we go. There they are. And now you see it.
1: <laughs> now, now I'm going to tease the two stories I have for today. Tease me. My first is a super strange tale of the Circleville letters. Heading to just outside Columbus, Ohio for this one. I knew it. Mm-hmm. Circleville. Uh, for roughly two decades, hundreds of disturbing letters sent to numerous residents of Circleville. They began with accusations of an affair, spiraled out to include accusations of murder and more. Or I should say, uh, and and also threats, Uh, someone dies in the story, someone goes to prison, but no one really understands what the hell happened. And for the next story, it's the tale of the Yuba County Five. Five young men disappear in North Central California on the night of February 24th, 1978, after attending a college basketball game. Why they went to where some of their remains would later be found still very much a mystery. Crazy twist at the end of this story that makes it especially creepy. And I think opens up to like possible paranormal. It's just so weird.
2: I think that I know both of these stories okay. like in my peripheral.
1: We'll see. Uh, whistling. Wait for the whistling on the second story.
2: I knew it. Oh, I'm excited now. I'm already scared.
1: What stories do you have for us today? Oh, no, you already said. You already said. Sorry. I sorry. Did. sorry. You already said. I, did. I um, messed it I'm so, up. I'm so habit. It's a it's, uh, habitual for me to uh, ask that after my my stories.
2: I messed up your flow. Is that what nope. you're gently saying nope. to me? Nope. I'm sorry about that, Dan. got I got, nothing, I got excited. I was overzealous. Yeah,
1: I should. I, I just uh, fell, into, uh, fell
2: into a habit. Oh, it's okay.
1: A uh, little bit of time to settle in for this first one if you're ready to get started as we head to Ohio.
2: I'm, I'm, I am always ready to go to Ohio.
1: <laughs> Stepping away from the paranormal briefly with this one, possibly. But with true mysteries, I guess you just never know for sure. The is definitely spooky. Uh, to be clear, no one has attributed the mysterious letters that showed up for over 20 years in Circleville, Ohio, to a paranormal entity, but no one has come up with a real good rational explanation for all of it either. Similar to the story of that watcher who creepily harassed the new owners of a house in Westfield, New Jersey for years and years, the Circleville letters bring up several terrifying possibilities. Was someone watching the residents of Circleville, Ohio, and sending them threatening letters, seemingly with no motivation, Other than to cause chaos and despair, uh, the work of someone with some serious mental health issues and an incredible ability to consistently not get caught. Uh, Was it the work of many people? Was it the work of something else entirely? Whatever the source, the Circleville letters did real world harm. A man identified as the writer of the letters would be sentenced to prison. (gasps) And then once the man was in prison and supposedly being monitored carefully, the letters would somehow continue appearing. Even he would get a letter. Time now for the tale of the mysterious Circleville Letters. With a current population of around 14,000 people, Circleville, Ohio, is not a place you'd think would be large enough enough to harbor too many secrets. It's roughly 25 miles south of Columbus, home to a couple of manufacturing companies, Ohio Christian University, and a water tower painted like a pumpkin. (laughs) Those who live in Circleville, for the most part, either grew up there or moved there looking specifically for someplace with a small town, everyone-knows-everyone, nothing-crazy-ever-happens-here vibe. But for a few people living there, in 1976, the everyone-knows-everyone vibe would quickly become dark and terrifying. That summer, school bus driver Mary Gillespie received a letter postmarked in Columbus that had no signature and no return address. It accused Mary of having an affair with the West Falls School District Superintendent Gordon Massey, and the writer warned her to stop. While she wasn't threatened explicitly in the letter, a creepy veiled threat was made towards not just her, but also her family. It said, I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Mary didn't know what to do. She would later say she was not having an affair with the school superintendent. She immediately told her husband about the letter and watched his face fall in horror. He told her now that he'd been getting letters like this, and the only reason he hadn't told her already was that he didn't want to scare her. One of the letters to Ron said that Mary was in danger if he could not stop her affair. Another letter said the writer would kill Ron unless Ron told the school board everything. Ron wondered if other people were getting similar letters. Was this some kind of sick joke? Some sick person who eventually would just move on to something else? One of Ron's letters read, Gillespie, you have had two weeks and done nothing. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board." If not, I will broadcast it on CBs, posters, signs, and billboards unless the truth comes out. The couple decided to remain silent and just hoped the letter writer would stop. But that didn't happen. Within weeks, more threats arrive, again cautioning that if Mary doesn't end the affair, it will be disclosed on CB radio and billboard ads. Mary and Ron now decided to tell Ron's sister Karen and her husband Paul. Mary told them that she thought she knew who was sending the letters, David Longberry a fellow bus driver who had once made a pass at her. Maybe she thought Longberry was feeling jilted and wanted to taunt her. It was agreed that Paul would write a letter to Longberry saying that he knew he was sending the letters and that David needed to stop at once. After he sent that letter, interestingly, for a time, the letters did stop. But then the signs started appearing. To their dismay, now Mary and Ron Gillespie uh, began seeing signs posted around town that made claims that Gordon Massey, the school superintendent Mary had been accused of having an affair with, was romantically involved with the Gillespie's 12-year-old daughter, (gasps) Tracy. Ron drove around town early in the morning, tearing down all these signs before Tracy could see them or her classmates. And then whoever was doing this took things a step further still. On August 19th, 1977, the tormentor called the Gillespie's home phone. When Ron picked up, the caller declared that he was observing the Gillespie house and that he knew what Ron's truck looked like. Ron Furious hung up, told his family he thought he recognized the caller's voice, raced out the door with the intention of confronting this person. Within minutes, he was speeding away in his truck, and he'd brought along his gun. Then a few hours later, Ron Gillespie is found dead behind the wheel. And before he died, he'd fired that gun. Mary had no idea who he chased after, now her husband and Tracy's father was dead, and she still had no clue who was harassing them. To make things even stranger, authorities, including Pickaway County Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe, failed to find any bullet casing on the scene. Where had Ron fired? Who had he fired at? Had he had he hit anyone? Authorities determined that Ron had been drinking. His blood alcohol content was one, 0.16, twice the legal limit. Sheriff Radcliffe concluded that Ron had driven himself into a tree by accident, even though his family insisted that Ron rarely ever drank, and that on the rare occasion he did, never enough to register that type of BAC. But police didn't seem convinced anyone else was to blame. Sheriff Radcliffe told Mary's brother-in-law Paul that that there was only one person of interest whom he didn't name, that person was questioned, and then they passed a polygraph and were dismissed. After all this, more letters start showing up. And now they weren't just limited to Mary and her household, they were spreading around to others in town. Many of these new letters allege that Sheriff Radcliffe was engaged in some kind of cover up regarding Ron's death and that Mary and Gordon Massey were responsible for killing Ron, that everything's always seemed to point back at Massey. Meanwhile, Mary's sister Karen and Paul were now divorcing and Mary allowed Karen to move into a trailer on Mary's property. And then now Mary admits to Karen that she did have an affair with Massey, but so odd. She said that it started after the threatening letters began arriving, not before what was happening. What a strange confession. Stranger events were about to unfold. This confession would pale in comparison to what happened along Mary's bus route February seventh, 1983. On that afternoon, Mary, driving her normal school bus route, had just dropped off one group of children, was headed to pick up another at Monroe Elementary School when she spotted a disturbing sign. It had been placed along her bus route at the intersection of Ceoto-Darby Road and Five Points Pike. Resolving to take it down just like she'd taken down so many others, Mary parked the bus exited, approached the handwritten sign, which made some sort of obscene remark about her young daughter Tracy. Mary, annoyed, picked up the sign and the weird bulky post used to hold it up, taking all of it, sign and post, back into the bus, then later taking it to her house. That evening when she inspected the sign more closely, she opened a small container attached to the post. Inside was a 25 caliber handgun arranged in some kind of booby trap. It seemed as whoever had set the sign up thought she would rip it down in anger, which would have triggered the gun to go off and shot her. She calls the police. When authorities look into the gun's history, they determine its owner quickly, her former brother-in-law, Paul. What? She wondered had he been sending the letters the entire time. Police are stumped, but they think there's no other explanation. They have no idea why he would want to threaten his in-laws, though. Paul maintains his innocence about all of this, but why was his gun found with a sign? In the course of the police subsequent investigation, a co-worker of Paul's named Wesley Wells said that Paul had bought the gun uh, from him for $35 and personnel records showed that Paul had taken a day off of work February 7th, the day of the booby trap sign. And then handwriting samples taken from Paul's employment fi- file were, according to handwriting experts, a match for 391 of the letters and 103 of the postcards sent to the Gillespie's and other local residents. And yes, you heard those numbers correctly. Roughly 500 letters and postcards had been sent that all matched Paul's handwriting, on top of an unknown amount of signs posted around town. And over 500 additional letters and postcards have been sent by what seems to have been someone else, maybe multiple someones. In total, over 1,000 letters have been sent across southern Ohio. Paul is now charged with attempted murder. He's indicted by a grand jury, March 1983. His trial set for that October. It lasted only a week. The the jury needed just two and a half hours to return a verdict of guilty. Judge William Amner sentences him to seven to 25 years for attempted murder and to an additional three years for controlling a firearm during the offense. Paul's now in prison, but the Circleville mystery, not over. Even when Paul was locked up in solitary confinement, letters continued to appear. Paul himself even received one, taunting him after a parole hearing had concluded without allowing him early release saying, Now, when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of here? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all. Paul was paroled in 1994. Upon his release, continues to insist he had nothing to do with the letters, with any of them. Some would speculate, Paul included, that it was his ex-wife, Karen, who had written the letters. She knew his handwriting well. They thought maybe she had set him up during their contentious divorce to punish him. So did Karen really have time to handwrite and deliver over a thousand letters while working full time? And what about how Ron had died? That still doesn't explain that. Paul died in 2012, claiming his innocence and everything until the bitter end. The letters stopped showing up before his death. By the time it was all over, so many different people had been sent the letters and whoever wrote them, they actually did know a lot of the town's darkest secrets. Mary Gillespie was having an affair. The prosecutor in Paul's trial, Roger Klein, got a letter accusing him of killing a pregnant woman. Crazy accusation, but then later it was discovered he did have an affair with a local woman who had died in an accident when she was pregnant, and the autopsy had revealed he was the father of her unborn child. Oh my God. Dr. Ray Carroll, who performed Ron Gillespie's autopsy, was outed by the Circleville letter writer as a pedophile. Then, years later, he was officially charged with 12 counts of gross immorality, sex crimes, corruption of a minor, pornography, obscenity, and indecent exposure. Many other local secrets were exposed by the letter writer. How did they know everything that they knew? Since Paul's death, the real identity of the letter writer or writers has only gotten more complicated. The mystery was featured on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, November 11th, 1994, after which the show received their very own letter from the Circleville writer, which read, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay the Circleville writer. The letter shortly disappeared or disappeared shortly after that. Just last year, 2021, the CBS program 48 Hours asked former FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole and forensic document expert Beverly East to examine the Circleville letters. O'Toole said she did not think Paul was the culprit based on the impression she got of a controlling, vindictive letter writer, traits that Paul's relatives insisted did not fit him. East, however, did believe that Paul wrote the letters. Then, adding even more confusion... The show also identified Paul's fingerprints on some of the letters that were sent while he was in prison, a contradiction no one seems able to explain, since Paul's correspondences were, in theory, carefully monitored. And since some of the letters were sent while he was in solitary, he would have theoretically had to have written the letters in advance of getting put in solitary, then had someone else send them. Not impossible, but unlikely. Did anyone else have access to his fingerprints, who would use them to frame him? His ex-wife, Karen, perhaps? She had access to Paul's gun, could have framed him by attaching it to that sign. With something pretending to be Paul and writing those letters. A doppelganger. Something else. Also possible that several people wrote them. Perhaps once the letter started, multiple people used the opportunity to air their grievances. It's all so strange. And what about Ron Gillespie? Why did he fire his gun? Did he really just die in a simple drunk driving accident after racing out of the house immediately following a harassing phone call? That's very suspicious. Maybe someday we'll know the answers to some of these questions. Or maybe it's better not to.
2: How weird!
1: Mm-hmm. Just I mean, this plague of letters revealing all these secrets before you know they came out to light.
2: I mean, I wish I could say I remember that story, but it was like before my time. <laughs> it was years before my birth.
1: Well, the unsolved mysteries came out well
2: after your birth. <laughs> the unsolved mystery came out on 11-11-94. Yes, it did. I wrote it down because my birthday is eleven eleven. Yep. <laughs> 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 um, okay. No. In all seriousness. Yeah, what a bizarre thing. It is very similar to The Watcher, where you don't Mm -hmm. ever get an answer or an explanation. Yeah. It it almost feels a little bit like a vigilante kind of thing. Like,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. somebody in town... Okay, generally speaking, there's some family in town, when it's a small town like that, in my experience, that knows everybody's business.
1: Yeah, but how would they know some of those things, man?
2: Well, you know, other people confide in them. And then it's like, to me, it almost sounded as if it was like handed down one generation to the next. Because if the letters are still going.
1: They're not going now. It was about about 20 years that the span was.
2: Well, uh, oh, oh. Late
1: you, 70s to mid 90s.
2: Sorry, when you talked about 2021, Mid-70s, I was like, mid-90s. oh, there must be more.
1: No, no, no 2021 was when uh, 48 hours just so, like went over the story.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking that there was more. Okay, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But still, that's a long time. Yeah, but but OK, it could have been like a child because if the doctor was accused of pedophilia mm-hmm. and they could have also been a school bus rider.
1: Yeah, but then what about that guy with the uh, the pregnant woman? I know it had to have been multiple people or it's, it's just weird. It's weird. I know this one doesn't really it doesn't really tilt towards the paranormal. This next one has elements that do more. But like it just um I love just like what happened
2: mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how and,
1: and i just think like how are they never caught if they're putting up signs around town i actually all,
2: made a note about that
1: yeah like how didn't someone just be like oh so-and-so is putting up a sign well that'd be really sneaky
2: i mean how big were these signs because they were mm. on like po- is it like a to me it made me think of a variety of things like a sign on a tree trunk you know that you would just yeah. like staple up anybody could do that without getting caught i've done right. it right so <laughs> there's that um But then it sounded like when Karen, no, when Mary took this one sign down that was loaded with the gun. I was thinking like a for sale sign because the way she talked about it being on a post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that mm-hmm. I mean, in that situation, you have to, like, dig out a little hole. You got to, like, hammer it mm-hmm, in. I mm-hmm. mean, how how yeah, would you do yeah, that? Yeah, that
1: one where she had to take the post back that was booby-trapped. I mean, that's like, yeah, there's more effort that goes into that.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the handwriting uh-huh. thing and just, like, overall not being able to figure out who sent these letters, I was flashing forward on the difference between, like, how things were and how things are. Now, I mean, I don't think that you could send a handwritten letter without getting without it being traced back to you?
1: Um, yeah, you could, you could, you could, could like, uh, okay, you, you use gloves. You mm-hmm. um, only handle the envelope and the paper with gloves. Mm-hmm. And then you write it, and then you put a stamp on it that you've never touched again without gloves, and mm-hmm. then you just drop it off in a random uh, drop box, mm-hmm. nowhere near you, one of those uh, postal ones. Mm-hmm. You just have to hope that there wasn't a camera by that one. You don't. I mean, that's the trouble now is there's so many cameras. It's like you'd have to pay attention to where you park. Mm-hmm. You'd have to really pay attention to where the thing was. hmm But then even then, like, like, they don't know what time it was dropped off. It would be hard in some situations. It it would just be harder, but you could probably still do it.
2: And then I think about, like, okay, well... Everything can be traced, so you have to make sure that you use the most generic paper. Right, like you got to go buy a ream of staples, mm-hmm. office paper. You know, kind of do one of those things. Can't be anything special. You nope. can't lick. The, you need to get self sealing envelopes, yep. self adhesive stamps.
1: Yeah, no DNA. Yeah, none of that stuff.
2: But I just think that we've advanced so so far. So even with gloves, and you're not licking anything, it's like if you just did what you did. A little scratch? Well, mm-hmm. now, like, your little, like, skin. It, I, I just don't think that you could get away with it in the same way.
1: It'd be harder. But if you weren't in a criminal Lay database, in, the, in theory, they don't have your DNA on file.
2: I mean, thank God I'm not in a criminal database. <laughs> I can never be caught for the crimes I've committed. Perfect. Perfect. I don't know. I just think it's so weird. And, and David Longberry, hmm, like yeah. the scorned lover... We never really went back to him. Well, and he
1: wasn't even a lover. He was just like a scorn a flirter. Yeah, it's like, so who knows? And that could have been, I think that one could have been her trying to, I think, I think it's bullshit that she would admit to the affair. Yeah, I had an affair with this random guy, this superintendent, but it happened after the letters. Bullshit.
2: I, I don't know. There could be self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm, maybe. You know, or it's like, well, since everybody's talking about it, I mean, he is so good looking and now my husband's ah. dead. So, like, I might as well. I'm sad. I'm lonely. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, that's, but if it would have
1: been an affair, that implies that it happened before the husband died. So maybe before he dies, during the pressure, there was a couple years mm, in there. Yeah. But, yeah, but it is also yeah.
2: But also, I mean, okay, if you if I think that I would have if if I'm a dramatic person, which I can be, if you passed away, mm-hmm. I might still feel like I'm having an affair, being with someone else. So tomato, mm, tomato. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know where her moral compass is. I don't know. I don't know. Mostly, how sad for that kid tracy
1: yes yeah into, having her name slandered in such a weird way so weird um i don't have any i mean crazy paranormal pictures obviously but i have a picture of a young mary Gillespie. okay um
2: oh she's so pretty
1: mm-hmm and then and then this next oh picture, God. picture of uh, gordon massey i can't believe she was a school bus driver like w- well that's like a young I, I couldn't find a picture of her like from the time she was doing that i, I did find one but she, she looks
2: like james petrogallo
1: oh he does Small where that's hilarious. Um oh, James. but I think that was like a high school graduate, like senior kind of. I don't photo. care. She's beautiful. Oh yeah. And then uh this next one, pick of Mary's brother-in-law, Paul, uh, went to prison for her attempted murder.
2: I mean, he does make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But if
1: you didn't know that about him, would he make you feel uncomfortable? I was wondering that.
2: Yeah, it's something about um the the it could just be the photograph. Yeah. But it's like that weird, tight, stiff hair. <laughs> where it, it's a combination, you take that. And then you combine that with like the way, like his deep set eyes that mm. aren't perfectly symmetrical. Like okay. they just feel a little too not symmetrical. Okay. And then that thick mustache, I just don't like it.
1: That's the people. That's a lot of times when there's when they don't really know who did something. <laughs> they're like, all right, bring in everybody with weird stiff hair, the deeply set asymmetrical eyes. And <laughs> thick mustaches. Yeah. We, we start with them.
2: Listen, here's the thing to know about me. <laughs> you, I am really good at descriptions. <laughs>
1: okay.
2: Uh, I mean, he, but he had, I mean, he seems like a character from a movie where I'm just like, oh, you make me feel like icky inside.
1: Okay. Well, we, you know, everybody has those feelings about, yeah, random people. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then this ne- last one is just a pick of the first letter sent to Mary. Just, you know, like using the... Kind of like grade school, all caps, almost not cursive, but you know, trying to like hide their handwriting.
2: Literally, not even close to cursive. Not one single letter on there is written in cursive.
1: But it reminds me of the type of paper I used to have to do that as a kid.
2: Yes, yeah, where it was like a a Mm -hmm. thick, and it was a solid line, then the dotted line, and then the solid line. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. It does have that vibe. So, I mean, that paper. Like if we're if we're going back to Mary possibly somebody in this like vigilante kind of thing being like a kid. I just think about like Mary on the school bus, a a student getting on the bus, like maybe the principal came out to the bus and like some child picked up on it and then went home and told their parents. Mm, Then mm -hmm. they have a nosy parent Mm -hmm. who dug around and then really like was bored and had to do their own sort of like, I'm going to solve this mystery. And then it spiraled out into something else. Yeah. That's what I'm going to go with.
1: Okay. That's as good as theory as any. Well, thank you. Uh, Are you ready to leave one mystery to explore another?
2: I am, Detective Cummins. I am.
1: (laughs) We trade Ohio for California right after today's Mid-Show Sponsor Break. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle, some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day?
2: I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the <laughs> world's best so lame.
1: This year, how about one upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura Frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want.
2: This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura Frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts.
1: Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
1: Visit BetterHelp.com slash Scared to Death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel pcom Scared to Death.
2: Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors' No Prep, No Mess Meals.
1: Factors never-frozen, always-fresh meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen.
2: I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime beramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head
1: to factormeals.com slash scaredtodeath50 and use code scaredtodeath50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code death 50 at factormeals.com slash death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for sticking around, creeps and peepers. Hope you heard something that appealed to you and can save you some money. Uh, not much setup on the second story. I think the ending makes this story creepier than the first and, again, leans more towards a paranormal possibility. Uh, now let's head to California. Another mystery. Another story that brings up more questions than it answers. Uh, This story has been referred to by some as the American Dyatlov Pass, Hmm. referring to the enduring January 1959 mystery when nine young Soviet hikers died under mysterious circumstances while trekking through the Ural Mountains. Time now for the tale of the Yuba County Five. Two hours before midnight on Friday, February 24th, 1978, when a basketball game ended at California State University at Chico, five young men from the Flatlands 50 miles to the south Climbed into a turquoise and white 1969 Mercury Montego and drove out of the parking lot, thought to be heading home. They were fans of the visiting team, which had won that evening. After the game, they stopped three blocks away at Bears Market, mildly annoying the clerk who was trying to close up, buying one Hostess cherry pie, one Langendorf lemon pie, a Snickers bar, a Marathon bar, two Pepsis, and a quart and a half of milk. What the
2: hell is a Marathon bar?
1: I can't remember, but I've seen them. Uh, I can't remember what's in them. There was a half moon that night, a winter moon in the cloudless sky with a stark white landscape beneath. Up in the mountains above the nearby Feather River, there were snow drifts that sometimes rose to 15 feet. The young men walked out of the store, got back in their car, drove south out of Chico, and then disappeared. The next morning, when the families of the five men woke up to realize their sons and brothers had not come home the night before, they started calling around a chain of telephone that returned a grim answer. None of the boys had come home that night. And that was not normal. All five young men still lived at home with their families. They were sweet boys, well-liked by their families in the community. They were supposed to play a basketball game of their own on Saturday, February 25th, part of a tournament with a free week in Los Angeles if they won. Several of them, so excited about the game, had laid out their clothes for the game in their rooms on the evening of the 24th, before they left for Chico. Each had a beige t-shirt, the word Gateway Gators, emblazoned across the chest from the Yuba City Vocational Rehabilitation Center for the Handicapped, where they all played basketball. my god, this is too sweet. Four Four of them had been diagnosed with learning disabilities. One was being treated for schizophrenia. Two of them were also military veterans. Their disabilities did not seem to be severe enough to help account for their disappearances. When Saturday came and went with no news, their families reported the men missing to the police, and by Monday, investigators were searching for them. Then on Tuesday, February 28th, they found Madruga's mercury, but no trace of the men anywhere near it. And then from that day on, for months, nothing they found and nothing anybody told them helped them find these men. The car was found 70 miles from Chico on a deserted and rut-ravaged mountain road. It had stopped at the snow line, and although its tires had apparently spun, the car was not really that stuck. It appeared as if five men could easily have pushed it free. It wasn't out of gas, either. The tank was a quarter full. So why was it abandoned? Where did they go? Four maps, including one of California, lay neatly folded in the glove compartment. The keys were gone, but when police hot-wired the car, the engine started up immediately. It wasn't broken down in any way. The interior of the car was littered with the wrappers of the food bought at Bears. Everything had been eaten except the marathon bar, which was half gone. The car's underside was also undamaged, which was a bit odd. This heavy American car with a low-hanging muffler and presumably five full-grown men inside had wound up a stretch of torturously bumpy mountain road, apparently in total darkness, without a, a gouge or dent or even a thick mud stain to show for it. Investigators figured that the driver had either used astonishing care and precision or else knew the road well enough to anticipate every rut. Only Jack Madruga ever drove the car, and he'd never liked camping. He also hated the cold, so it didn't make sense that he would have driven it to where it was found. In fact, none of the boys knew of that road as far as anybody could tell, and it made no sense at all that they would have ever driven down uh, this road instead of just going home to get rest for their game the next day. Once about eight years earlier, Bill Sterling had gone fishing with his father at a cabin not that far from this road, but he hadn't enjoyed himself to the point he'd stayed home the few times the Sterlings had gone back. But like the other men, uh, Bill, excuse me, like the other men, were homebodies, and no one could fathom who or what could have possibly inspired them to drive up that road into the mountains, especially during the winter when the ground was so covered in snow. The day their car was found, a storm rolled in, dropped another nine inches of snow, the search teams nearly lost a few men themselves two days later as their snow cats struggled to make it up and over some massive snow drifts. Despite a strenuous search, nobody ever found anything, not so much as a shoe, until after the spring thaw months later. A body wouldn't be found until June. June 4, 1978, a small group of Sunday motorcyclists wandered into a deserted forest service wandered into a deserted forest service trailer camp at the end of the road and inhaled a nauseating smell. They'd found the remains of Ted Weir, stretched out on a bed inside the main 60-foot trailer. He'd frozen to death. Eight sheets had been pulled over his body and tucked around his head. His leather shoes were off and missing. A table by the bed held his nickel ring with Ted engraved on it, his gold necklace, his wallet, and mysteriously a gold Waltham watch, its crystal missing, which the family say had not belonged to any of the five men. Ted Weir had a stocky build back in February when he disappeared. 5 feet 11, 200 pounds By the time his body was found he'd lost from 80 to 100 pounds Holy hell His feet were badly frostbitten The length of his beard revealed he had lived in that trailer from 8 to 13 weeks He was almost 20 miles from the car He would have had to have walked through numerous snowbanks to get there How had he survived for so long once he made it to that trailer No fire had been built although matches were found inside along with paperback novels and wood furniture that could have burned easily More than a dozen sea ration cans from a storage shed had been opened and emptied. One had been opened with an army P-38 can opener, which only Jack Madruga and Gary Mathias, who had served in the army, probably knew how to use. But if they'd been there, where were their bodies? And why had no one opened a locker in the same shed that contained enough dehydrated Mexican dinners and fruit cocktails and assorted other meals to keep all five men alive for at least a year? No one had touched the propane tank in another shed outside, which would have given Ted the heat he would have needed to survive the winter. The day after Ted Weir's body was discovered, searchers then found the remains of Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling. Their bodies were found laying on opposite sides of the road to the trailer, 11.4 miles from the car, almost 10 miles from Ted's remains. Jack had been partially eaten by animals, dragged about 10 feet to a stream. He lay face up, his right hand curled around his watch. Bill Sterling was in a wooded area, his remains scattered over an area of about 50 feet. There was nothing left of him but bones. Two days later, just off the same road, but much closer to the trailer, Jackie Hewitt's father found his son's backbone. There were a few other bones scattered around, along with Jackie's Levi's and shoes. An assistant sheriff from Plumas County then found the skull the next day, about 100 yards downhill from the rest of the bones. The family dentist identified the teeth as those of Jackie. No one found any sign of Gary Mathias other than his shoes. His tennis shoes were inside the Forest Service trailer, which suggested to investigators he might have taken them off to put on Weir's leather shoes, particularly since Weir had bigger feet and Mathias' feet might have gotten swollen with frostbite. But that was pure conjecture, which was all they had. And then the police got a lead, which only ended up complicating things further and which I think opens up the door to some kind of strange paranormal possibility. Joseph Shones, 55, told police he had driven his Volkswagen Bug up the same road sometime after 5.30 on the same evening the boys disappeared. His car had gotten stuck in the snow, just above the snow line, about 50 yards beyond the place where the mercury would be found. And as Shones was trying to free his car, he said he thought he started to have a uh, small heart attack. Worried that he was dying, he lays down in his car with the engine on, the car heater going for hours. Sometime that night... While he's laying there, he hears what he described as whistling noises, little ways down the road, gets out of his car to see who's making the sound. He sees what looks like a group of men, a woman, and maybe a child walking in the glare of the headlights. He strains to hear talking, but only hears the strange whistling noise again. He calls for help. Then he says the figures just vanished. Sometime later, he saw lights outside, called for help again, and then the lights just disappeared. Joseph laid back down in his car until it ran out of gas, and then while it was still dark, he said he walked eight miles back to a lodge called Mountain House. So what the hell is going on here? When he walked down just below his Volkswagen in the place where he'd heard the whistling, seen the men, the woman, the child, he passes the Mercury Montego, sitting empty in the middle of the road. To this day, this unbelievably strange story is the closest thing anyone has to an eyewitness account of what happened. So many questions obviously remain. Why abandon a perfectly operable car to strike out into a cold forest at midnight? Why press on through 20 miles of snowdrifts and darkness to break into a locked, unheated trailer full of rations, spend two or three months there, but never search the area to find more food? Never start a fire? Why drive all the way up there in the first place? Maybe most importantly, what were the whistling noises and the voices Shones claimed to have heard on that road were those men he saw the five men who disappeared? Who was the child? The woman? Did she have anything to do with what happened to them? And what the hell happened to Gary Mathias? His body has never been found.
2: Hmm. Also, mm-hmm. Joseph Shones. So he thinks he's having a heart attack.
1: I know. His story is weird.
2: He lies down in his car. Mm-hmm. And then a few hours later, he feels well enough to walk eight freaking miles.
1: I know. I know. Strange. that. I, I guess. Sus. He, okay. I agree. My thought was, okay, he's sus. But... Why did he come forward? He came forward months in the investigation. Mm,
2: Maybe he thought it was better. Like they were going to
1: find him anyway?
2: Yeah, like something was going to lead them to him, like that watch in the trailer.
1: Yeah. Also with the remains, none of I mean, yes, some of them were badly decomposed, but there was no signs of foul play. There was no signs of anyone having been murdered.
2: And all five of those gentlemen... Well, there
1: four, because the fifth body was never found. Okay, but there were five
2: of them to start. Yeah. All... Uh, mentally challenged?
1: One, or I'm sorry, one was not, one was uh, being treated for schizophrenia. Yeah, so which, was, which is a
2: mental challenge Sure, or sure. mental sure. health.
1: Yeah, he had a mental health issue and then the other four, um, yes, had, uh, you know, I would de- describe as like basically like in school. Uh-huh. Uh, at that time, I don't know what the terminology is now, but, like, special education classes...
2: Yeah, like, maybe yeah. it just, like, takes them longer, like, I mean...
1: I mean, the language in the articles, it's it's hard, like... Yeah. I don't know what it equates to, but they were described as, quote, slow. Slow. No, oh, sorry, just, like, spit in the mic. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's just, like, yeah, it's, uh...
1: But they also could function, too, were in the military.
2: Mm-hmm. I know, so then it made me think, if... Which one of them was the schizophrenic, do we know?
1: I can't remember. Okay, Yeah. because I'm
2: like, well, did... Did he? I had ki- that thought. Kill the others and then go off. But then I, where I was initially going was, so, did the five of them have a plan to just like run away? Like we live at home. We don't want to be at home anymore. We're grown ups. We're adults. We can do this. Yeah. Like some. They sort They of, had
1: quite a bit of independence. It seems
2: though. I know, but like the was there some sort of delusion around mm. the grandeur of being out on their own, and we could do this, and we don't need mom and dad. because and, I'm not saying that they yeah. were so challenged or, um. That they—it didn't sound like they needed like a group home or anything. No,
1: no, they're driving themselves. You know, to this game and back, and they're going to a tournament the next day. I I I think I think they were highly functioning.
2: Yeah, more capable than what I'm, where I'm going. I just I just want a reason. So my Mm -hmm. reason is like, okay, well they were, you know, uh, not highly functioning, like not severely capable, Mm. and so it was sort of like a fuck you to mom and dad. We're gonna go do our own thing, and then it just went wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, re- going through the sources, you know, and then you pull from to, to put a narrative and don't include all the details. But I didn't get that. Feel- no one seemed to have gotten that feeling. They all seemed to have been, you know, um, very happy. Uh, like there was there was literally nothing that way. Well, it, and they were so excited. They laid out their clothes. I know. I'm like, that's the sweetest the thing.
2: That is so freaking sweet.
1: It, yeah. It feels weird. I mean, you know, it's like they, you know, been driving around plenty of times. It's like it's. This wasn't like new area for know, them to be driving, so it makes no sense they would get There was no storm coming through that night when they were driving, they would mess up visibility. Like it's very, very my thought was like, did they pick up that woman and that oh. kid, like hitchhiking? She instructed them to drive up there. Hey, can you just get me to this place? And then something happens. That would that was the only kind of like uh uh Staying away from the paranormal completely You know what happened there and I was like okay Did she bring them up there and then she Had to go somewhere but then it's like but then why would she Abandon them I don't know the whole thing
2: is just weird Well and then Joseph Schoen said that She and the boy There was like a little child, or a child. Yeah. I, I don't know why I just Went for boy but the, her and the child disappeared In front of him
1: and the men A whole group just like he, he sees This group of men woman and a child hears the whistling and They're- then calls at them for help and then they vanish and, and, and then lights come back on later. And then that vanishes.
2: Well, and I don't think that we, I wouldn't be able to lean into alien abduction in this because we found bones.
1: Right. What if they were, what if they were, I don't know. Yeah. taken and then put it back. I don't know. The, I don't know. It's it's such a true mystery.
2: Well, and then like, why do they never try and go for help? Right. That's like a weird thing too, where it's well, why, like.
1: Why walk, why walk up further into the mountains? I know. Go down. But, the, but again, the car wasn't broken down. They could have like gotten, gotten like, in the car and. Investigators, I mean, it, it really kind of like uh, the way it was presented was like it wasn't that stuck. Like maybe the tire was spinning, but it's like you could have like went back down the hill. And it would be weird to keep trying to go up in that situation when you're stuck as someone who's gotten let, lost their truck up in the snow. You, you do, you do <laughs> oh my try to go down. God,
2: Joe, remember when Dan got his truck oh stuck? Oh, my God. Oh, he oh my sure does. My God. We talk about
1: it every winter in our household. Nice. Oh, my nice. God.
2: We're, you almost drove me, Joe, Ezra and Pepper <laughs> off the side of a cliff. No. Yes. Well, I was on that side and here was your truck oh, wheel and here was the, plus. no,
1: it wasn't that close. Yes. It with Joe. Yeah, it was close. Okay. Probably within a, I'd say within a foot. It was of no. that's on that slushy snow. <laughs> but let's we just get out. Let's but, we, we, but it was so snowy. We probably just would have slid to a stop. Yeah. So there's that a fun, too. It would have been a fun sle- sleigh ride.
2: And then I took Joe's kids back to my house while you and Joe tried to get his truck out I know. and we had a party in the hot tub. Which to this day, I just like, I somewhere I have a picture of like Ezra just having the time of his oh, life. That's funny. Because that, we had like right. just gotten our hot tub. That's right. And he just like, that's right. Little kids and hot tubs are some yeah. of the funniest things ever because mm-hmm. to Ba-ba-ba-ba. them, yeah, just so It's, like, it, it's better than a pool because mm-hmm. you can't really do like cannonballs or any kind of tricks. But like you know somehow inherently that's kind of like fancy. Oh yeah, you feel so uh-huh. cool. Like oh, this is something for grownups that are <laughs> fancy. God, yeah. I loved it so much. And the, his kids, take my picture. Take my picture. Like, ah, oh my God, that's you right. So
1: take my picture. Take my picture. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so, so I mean, hot tubs. <laughs> so I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't
1: know the whole and and where the where the fuck is is this Gary? Guy?
2: I know where is Gary? Well, okay, and also uh, the guy that was lying down was that Ted with eight eight blankets on top of him?
1: Oh, the first the first guy I found. Yeah, the, the guy that uh, lived his, for at least eight
2: weeks. Yeah, and like his like oh uh, and like his beard was long. Is that Gary? I have to go back now. Oh man, and like his beard was so long, and I'm like, you are just lying in that bed, like what? I don't understand. How did you find this trailer? hmm But that's kind of what made that was also part of the story that made me wonder if this was yeah, pre Ted Weir, yeah. if this was preemptive in some way, like whose trailer was this? It was just fully stocked with like Oh,
1: Forest Service trailer. I know that answer. Oh, that's right. Forest you did service say camp. That. Okay, yeah. but
2: then how did like Forest Service never come up there? I don't know. And then if you're looking for these missing people, this is something that drives me crazy about missing people cases. I understand to a certain degree, I can appreciate why the police have to wait a certain amount of time before it is worth their resources to go looking. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes it's someone who's left on purpose, a runaway, yada, yada, yada.
1: Especially when they're adults.
2: Mm-hmm. But I have such a hard time with it because it's like, if it is entirely out of character... For my my child, my yeah. husband, my friend, I'm like, what are you fucking waiting for? I'm well, they, telling you, they were
1: looking by Monday morning at the latest, and they went missing uh, Friday night at midnight. That is a
2: long ass time. Yeah, that's a long ass time.
1: But yeah, but you're right. Though there is procedures. You I know. know. I mean, I some, get it. Some places, 72 hours. Yeah, different things. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, I, and
1: and then Dan. Yeah. Just curious in your research. Yeah. Anything about? Cause I know they were eaten by animals. Yeah. Yeah. At least one wise, was. Any drugs? No, if they it, have like just gotten super fucked up and all just walked mm, off and died if, i don't know yeah if that if that uh, happened they might not have tested for that at that time in that situation and or the remains might have been like since they weren't found for months mm-hmm. maybe that wouldn't have been uh, uh still in their system but that was never mentioned yeah because yeah. there's no you know they, didn't, they weren't murdered didn't think about like that. just where are they walking yeah right it just seems to be if you really turned around yeah yeah like where you going bro? Yeah. And I have a few pictures. There's one that is kind of like, I couldn't find a picture of that road they're on, but it's like, it shows up in a lot of articles looking at some GPS maps. You can see kind of like, okay. So this first one is Jackie Hewitt's top left. This is the five men who disappeared. Ted Weir, top middle, Bill Sterling, top right. On the bottom, uh, Jack Madruga on the left, and then the still missing Gary Mathias on the bottom right.
2: I cannot stop staring at Gary Mathias. Yeah. Um. What is that actor's name? Adam. He does look familiar. Scott. Adam Scott. Yes. Oh yeah. I, I immediately go to like. Yeah, he does. The the real life reenactment of this. Who Adam Scott? Plays Man, who? good call. Adam Scott, right there.
1: Oh, uh, this next. Adam pic-
2: Scott did it actually. <laughs> this next. <laughs> what happened?
1: This next picture is 1969 Mercury Montego, just okay, the kind good. of car.
2: I was actually curious because I yeah. I had no idea.
1: And then this last one is a pick from an article associated with the case. Uh, Excuse me, just showing the kind of terrain the car was lost in, like, you know, like snowy, heavily wooded. Yeah. I mean, it's just such an odd... This was not like a... uh, a paved road you know mm-hmm. obviously with the ruts and everything this is like yeah it's like a forest service road it just winds up in the mountains and why were going they going no, no one knows why they were going there. it wasn't on the way home it makes no sense
2: and i i know i just keep asking questions that you already answered but it is that thing it's like wait what i know i don't understand how could that be why mm-hmm. would you do it because when i look at that road i immediately think who would go on that road who isn't yeah. in a truck or like a, a an suv
1: right right Yep, it's just an odd, odd, so yeah, so I just wanted to shake things mm-hmm. up uh, a little bit today, you know, we've been, I've been heavy with my stories on, which I love, you know, haunted places, haunted houses, you know, with the shadow people, but um, just for the, the flow of the uh, the series in general, I'll, every once in a while, I think it's nice to step back away from that and have something else terrify terrifies.
2: Thank you for not saying anything about how much I'm burping.
1: <laughs> oh, you're whatever, yeah, you're corned oh, beef. Oh, man.
2: We had really good lunch at moon time, but mm-hmm. um, I ate too close to recording. Normally, oh we record in the morning, and I don't eat until afterwards, specifically to avoid this. And I am having a really hard time right now. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. okay. It was delicious.
1: It was good. Okay. Okay, you can fight through for your stories. I can.
2: I can. All right. Well, are you ready for some more traditional scares? I am. I am. Okay. I gave you a whole family of squishies.
1: Got, I'm going to pick Satan.
2: Look at, look at, mama squish, daddy squish, baby squish. Baby Satan. Baby Satan, Baby Momo. <laughs> Once upon a time. Uh, okay, okay. So you know, one thing that we have explored loosely here and there is like, okay, what happens when you die? Where do you go? Yeah. I mean, and so much of that is the premise of this show is like, well, how do we get spirits? Is it people that have died? And then, so in this story, I really think it's interesting uh, to think about like after a hundred and thirty. This is a hundred and thirty. Fourth episode yeah like what you thought happened to you after death episode one, oh, yeah till episode 134 do you still feel the same
1: uh i just like that there's more possibilities that i would entertain now okay uh what i like is between one and 134 i am more certain now mm-hmm you know, my own belief. I know I can't be proven. Uh, I know okay. if there's atheists listen to the show. You're like, there's no way you can prove it. I know that. Yeah. But I just believe that something happens to us. You do. I do. I and- believe, I, other than just being dead. I don't know. I have no idea what it is, but I think that something. I think our energy moves somewhere. Mm. Some spirit.
2: And at the beginning of the show? Mm, I was on the fence. Okay.
1: Because I, did, I didn't know if I really believed in ghosts.
2: Mm.
1: I wanted to. But didn't believe him, and now after all these stories, I do believe in ghosts. Okay. And if I believe in ghosts, and ghosts are some kind of human-based, former human kind of thing, with all these stories, then I'm like, well, to me, that sh- that it sh- that proves some kind of existence, even if it's like, I mean, yeah, you can say like a loop, you're kind of stuck there. Mm-hmm. But the the stories we've heard, like the, the totality of them, there's so many stories where there seems to be some kind of sentient intelligence. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think something happens to us after we die.
2: Okay, okay. If what about you? If you're stuck in... Oh, man. Well, I have zero fear of dying. Mm-hmm. But I think that also that comes with the ignorance and bliss of being young and healthy. Mm-hmm. But I, in my entire life, I've never once been afraid to die. Like some people are just like, my mom is so afraid to die. Like she'll yeah. say to me, and she has said this for as long as I can remember... Lindsay, the only thing I'm afraid of in life is dying alone. Like yeah. she just, and that that is a thought that has never occurred to me. So when I think about this show and I apply death to it and what might happen to us, it's like I don't know. I don't even really think about it because I'm not afraid of it. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. To me, it's just like You're not, I'm not
1: facing mortality directly right now. Yeah.
2: Exactly. It's like to me, it's just like oh, it's just like another thing that happens. Like mm-hmm. pouring a cup of coffee in the morning, you just do it, and that's mm-hmm. just part of life. So I don't, I don't know that my thought about what happens to us. Or doesn't happen to us has really altered it all because I haven't explored it. I sincerely believe that I would feel so differently yeah. if my own mortality were in question. Yeah. But it just doesn't. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I'm just not like I don't I don't think about it cuz I'm not worried about it and there's also a part of me that understands my own imagination and my own ability to really scare myself and go down a wormhole and I think that if I spent too much time analyzing it and philosophizing about it I would end up just really fucking scared.
0: Mm, that, that like sense. Mm-hmm. that
2: oh my god well what if you have no control of it what if you die and you can't control what kind of spirit you come back as or what yeah. if other things can get you and what if like these kinds of people get to come back like mm-hmm. i could just woo spiral
1: mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd rather not <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah 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 but I, I do when we were you said something about getting stuck in a loop you know it's like if you're a spirit and you die in a certain way and you're stuck in a loop can you break the loop
1: Oh uh, yeah, I don't
2: know. I don't know. But I, I like that this story explores that. So let's dive in. Okay. Oh, and I just want to say, like, I think two of the three of these stories, like, I just started listening to this show. This literally could be an email from two years ago. Like, oh, I, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like, sure. I, I don't need to change that verbiage in their email. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, new fan to the show. Just discovered it about a week ago. I Thank don't know you. what week that was. That's not to say I'm not already obsessed. I've started with the earlier episodes going back to 2019, and I'm working my way up to more current ones. I think you guys are amazing, and I hope to be listening to this podcast for a long time. I would say I am definitely a creeper. I've always been obsessed with the paranormal from a very young age, and I've always been rather intuitive and receptive with spirits. My story takes place about 20 years ago in Lancaster, New Hampshire. I'm from Providence, Rhode Island, but at the time my story takes place, I was staying at my sister's father's house in New Hampshire for a week. My sister Marlene and I are nine years apart, with me being the older sibling, and we have different fathers, and she also has other half-siblings. For this particular visit, her dad was picking us up, as well as Kaylee, his other daughter from a previous marriage, to go and stay with him and his wife and their three children, Brianna, AJ, and Dylan. This was my first time visiting their house as they usually came to Rhode Island to visit us. Kaylee and I were both 12 years old at the time and Brianna was 10. So during the stay while the adults were at work, we stayed at the house and entertained ourselves at the nearby uh, at the neighborhood pool. My then three-year-old sister Marlene and Brianna's three and six-year-old brothers were at daycare until the early afternoon. So most of the day, it was just us preteen girls hanging out at the house. On my second day there, Brianna, Kaylee, and I were hanging out at the kitchen table. It was maybe 10 in the morning, and we decided that we were going to do some makeovers on each other. Just a very typical pre-teen girl kind of thing. As we set up our supplies, this uneasy feeling came over me. I felt like I was being watched. I glanced back at the staircase that led to the upstairs bedrooms. The staircase was located directly behind the kitchen and between Brianna's parents' bedroom and the living room. Standing at the bottom of the stairs and looking right at me was a little boy. He looked to be about three years old, so at first I just assumed it was Dylan. Until I remembered that all the smaller children were not home with us. After only a moment which felt like an eternity, he simply disappeared. Not wanting to freak the others out, I turned around and tried to tell myself I had imagined it. At least that's what I had planned to say until I saw Kaylee's face. She'd gone pale and her eyes were wide with fright. I started to say... Did you just, and she blurted out, see a little boy on the staircase? (laughs) I was stunned. I was not the only one that had witnessed it. We were both thoroughly freaked out. Brianna hadn't seen it, so she wasn't as scared as we were. And for the rest of the day, Kaylee and myself refused to stay in the house. And we sat on the swing set in the backyard until the adults came home. Naturally, when we told Brianna's parents what we had witnessed, they told us that it was just our imaginations. They didn't believe us because they had lived there happily since they purchased the home a few years back with no paranormal activity whatsoever. For the next day or two, nothing happened. Kaylee and myself were still wary, though. On the fifth day, I was just starting to relax and forget about the strange, ghostly apparition of the little boy I saw on the stairs. Brianna and Kaylee and I were watching a movie in the living room when that feeling of being watched settled over me again. I glanced over at the French doors that led to the staircase, and I saw that same little boy. Fear laced through my body. I started to internally panic. I was frozen in place, but I couldn't look away. Then I heard the little boy speak. Help me, he said. Simple enough words that aren't particularly scary, but in my 12-year-old brain, it was just as scary as if he had screamed get out at me. It was then that I realized that Brianna and Kaylee had also heard him. We ran to the front door and scrambled outside, and that's where we remained until everyone else came home. Brianna's parents still thought we were just letting our imaginations get to the best of us. They did their best to calm us down and tried to de-escalate the situation. But we knew what we had seen and what we had heard. On my seventh and final day there, I was walking down the stairs to head to breakfast. I happened to glance out a window. In the backyard, mind you, this was a very secluded, woodsy area, I saw what appeared to be the ghostly apparition of a bear mauling a child to death. Jeez. That, was when the little, that was when the child turned to look at me, and I saw it was the same little boy who had appeared to me two times in the prior days. I stood there, shell-shocked, unable to believe what I was witnessing. I noticed movement to the side of me and realized that Kaylee was there, and she was also staring out the window with a deer-in-the-headlights expression on her face. We never spoke of the strange encounter to anyone for fear of them not believing us. Later that day, we got in the car and left Lancaster. Even now, all these years later, at 33, uh, at 33 years old, reliving that experience still gives me chills. I also feel guilty because maybe I should have tried to help the little boy. He didn't seem to want to harm us. I think he was looking for a way to break the cycle of reliving his tragic death over and over for all eternity." I'm not sure that there's anything I could have done to change that, but maybe I should have tried. I never found out if there was a record of any tragic death similar to what I saw on that property. I was too young to even think to research it at the time. But I will say that my sister's father's family still owns and lives in the house, and they have never experienced anything paranormal. As for me, I never went back to that house again. I hope you enjoyed my story and that it creeped you out. Yours truly, Melinda.
1: Melinda. Yeah, it's, uh it's always creepy when like um when there's that claim of I've seen this little boy on the stairs and then I turn to a friend and I'm like, "Oh my god, do you see that?" and then they finish yeah. the little boy. I mean, that's like the best like confirmation ones
2: mm-hmm.
1: where you haven't conferred, you know, uh, that like you know you, you it's so different when you're like oh my god I just saw a little boy on the stairs mm-hmm. and then people will say claim like well power of suggestion. Uh-huh. And then somebody maybe they just didn't really see anything but they don't want to feel left out. Mm-hmm. And some people there's a powerful urge to be like, oh my God me too.
2: Yeah, especially with little kids.
1: Uh-huh but when but when it's uh independent independently mm-hmm. verified like that then you can't really rationalize it away. It's like, okay, you both saw something. There was an apparition, and if there isn't some kind of intelligence like afterlife, it's like, why? Why would it show up as a little? Like, what would be the point of a loop? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then when people, I think about that loop scenario, like people get stuck. Maybe this little. But if they get unstuck, if you like, which we didn't didn't happen in this story the same way, but we've had plenty of stories where they hire a cleanser mm-hmm. or whatever. Hire you know what I mean invite a preach preacher or pastor whatever can pay over. for that yeah. yeah pay for that. They do a cleansing, go to the light, and then the thing is gone. Well, where did it go? Like, it went somewhere. That, that, that but maybe
2: it's just set free.
1: But but free to where?
2: Mm, I don't know. Maybe uh, it's like...
1: Some other plane of existence.
2: I'm telling you these burps, man. Um, <laughs> they're wild. It's the cabbage. Mm. Um, well, okay. If if there's no guarantee that every person who dies... Be- uh, moves on to an afterlife or yeah. becomes a spirit or lives existentially around us, right? Yeah. Okay. So if there's no guarantee that that happens, then there's no guarantee that, like, if you're stuck in a loop and you're freed of the loop, that you're just, it's just over. Like, like if, you're, if you don't become a spirit and you just become nothing, yeah. there's just nothing. Maybe if you're stuck in this loop... When you're freed of the loop, then you like move to that nothing space where there's no pain. That's even
1: weirder to me than moving on to some kind of like just. But
2: you just don't know better. Think about it. It's like if you're stuck <laughs> yeah. in this like pain of being molded by a bear. Sure. But and then like- and you're like, please, oh, my God, it hurts, whatever. Like, I' hate it. make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. And then it stops and you don't like maybe that removes the the uh consci- the the sentient being behind it it's just like nothing it's just over
1: i see what you're saying but that's weirder to me than like like cuz then cuz then that would be a situation where you can exist past mortal death your body's dead mm-hmm. your energy lives on but your energy has a connection to your personality spirit whatever mm-hmm. so you're existing in a new kind of energy form yeah and then when you go to the light then you go from from existing in this different kind of energy to nothing to me, that makes less sense than moving on to something.
2: Well, I just, I'm just trying to think like what, why you would, why some people would get to move on and some people wouldn't. And then if you move on, then like, then what? Like our, okay, so this little child, let's say they're broken out of this loop. Yeah. But then the next thing they move on to, like, is it their job then to go help other people move on from loops? Do they haunt Are, people? Do they?
1: Or it could be some other completely different plane of existence that we don't even get to access here.
2: Ah. I don't want it to be infinite. I don't want like... I do. I don't. I'm already dead.
1: Mm. Maybe you live on it a different way. No, so then you're not I, dead.
2: No, I don't like it. All right. Remember how I said I don't want to dig deep on it? Because <laughs> it, it, it's just too much of that fear of the unknown of like, mm-hmm. but then but then do you never really get rest and peace? Like, is know, maybe, it just...
1: Maybe it's super chill in the next existence. Maybe you get all kinds of rest. No,
2: you get mold to death. I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing. I know. I know. It's a weird thing to think about. Mm-hmm. 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 Going to go play some parlor games? Let's do it. A parlor game. I love this. Up Table Up is what the game's game. called. I'd never heard of it. And did you ever play um, Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board?
1: Maybe. I can't remember how that goes. It's like... Is that a trust fall? Uh, no. Oh, is that when you have your fingers under and you do some kind of like crazy lift? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, one I've per- never seen you so burpee by the way. It's I you. It's like I'm telling you've been you. turned into a burp machine. <laughs> what happened to you I, over there? I
2: think it's the cabbage. Cabbage is like
1: a rough- I didn't know rough... the cabbage destroyed you.
2: Well, it's a very, what's the word? Carnifer- cr- carniferous vegetable. No idea vegetable. what you're talking about. Like, it's rough. It's roughish. Huh. All right. carnifer. I can't say that. I think am worried carn- about you. <laughs> well, also like the-, the uh, <laughs> Uh, not roast beef the corned beef it's like cooked in beer Uh so it could just be like maybe the residual (laughs) beer that I never drink beer yeah true I don't know it it was very salty
1: okay so light as a feather stiff as a board okay
2: so you lie so one person lies down and I think I don't know if we had rules about like how many people you needed but I think you would need at least four so one person is lying on their back you know stiff as a board and then there's two people one on either side of your ankles like with their fingers both under your ankles I think when we would play, we would have somebody at like at the midsection, like under your thighs or like just above your butt, like okay. at your low back. And then somebody like at your shoulders or at your head. Sure. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. You keep saying it over and over and over. And theoretically, the person lying down would like levitate up if it right. worked. Right.
1: Okay. I've heard of that. But okay. Yeah, I never played it.
2: I mean, Sandy, I don't.
1: Yeah. Little kid
2: game. Little kid game. But, you know, always like in the dark after uh-huh. scary movies. Like, I don't um, know. I think I think she lifted up just yep, a little bit. Yep, right. Sure. So to me, this is a very different take on that where like a table moves. Okay. Okay. I was like, oh, all right. Kind of fun. Uh, All right. Hello to the king of horror tales and queen of crystals and cozy socks. (laughs) I wanted to start off by saying how much I enjoy your podcast. It's nice. A friend of mine told me I had to start this podcast a few months ago and I haven't been able to stop since. Y'all make my rides to and from work awesome and sometimes terrifying. The story I have for you today is about my dad's side of the family, in particular about my grandmother and grandfather. My dad told me this story a while back, and it's creeped me out ever since. My grandparents went to visit some family friends one day in the summer just to hang out and eat. The men needed to go into town for some reason, leaving the women home alone in the house. My dad told me that parlor games were all the rage in those (laughs) days, and one of the women suggested to the group that they play up table up. The instructions for this game were that everyone at the table would be standing with their fingers lightly pressed under the edge of the table. Then everyone all together would chant up table up, increasing in momentum each time. With enough energy from everyone, the table would rise up and all the energy that was going into the table would answer any questions you asked. For example, you could ask, How many children will I have? And the table would slam onto the floor a number of times to answer you. Like if it went slam, 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 that meant three children. You could also ask yes or no questions. One slam for yes, two for no. The ladies at home started playing, and sure enough, the table began to rise up. They started asking random questions like, How old am I? How long will I be married? Will my husband and I stay together forever? And so on. One of the ladies asked, Are you a spirit? The table replied with one big slam, meaning yes. That uh, that out of all of the oh that put all of the ladies on edge. Eventually another lady asked, "Are you in this room with us right now?" Another big slam. And that was when the front door flew open and, and a cold wind blew through the entire home. Like I said at the beginning, this was a summer day, so the bone-chilling strong wind was very odd. The table was still up over the floor, and now it was slamming repeatedly against the floor. Slam, 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 slam. During the middle of the slamming, the lights in all of the house went completely out. The wind grew stronger, and then finally, the door slammed shut. The lights started to flicker on and off quickly, and the table was still slamming up and down (sighs) against the floor. My dad said that when my grandmother noticed, uh, my dad said that my grandmother noticed that outside it had grown dark, like a storm was passing through. The group of ladies were completely freaked out. They immediately started to toward the front door, but when they want but when they go to pull on it, it will not open. Even though it was unlocked, it was as if someone or something was trying to keep them inside the house. They tried every door in the house and it was the same for every single door. They were trapped. The men had come back now, and they heard the lady screaming and banging on the front door of the house. One of the men tried to open the door, but it wouldn't budge. My dad even said that some of the men tried to bust out the windows of the house with rocks, and the rocks would just bounce off the windows. They even tried uh, to bust open the windows with hammers or whatever else they could find to break a window, but again, things would just bounce back. This lasted for maybe a couple of minutes, and then just as quickly as it began, It stopped. The lights stopped flickering, the table stopped slamming, the weather went back into a normal summer day, and the group of women were able to get outside of the house. And that was the last time my grandmother ever played Up, Table, Up, or any other game similar to that. My dad is very adamant about telling my sisters and me to never ever play with Ouija boards or games of that sort. I never wanted to do either of these things in the first place, but after hearing that story, I never wanted to even think about it. I hope the story creeped you out as it did me Mm -hmm. again. I love the show show so much and everything y'all do. Keep it scary. Haley.
1: Thank you, Haley. I mean, what a, what a crazy story. Like that would be, if you experienced that, if you're playing like a game like that with with friends, I mean, that's so powerful for all those different things to be going on and to have like this thing answer supposedly like (laughs) bless you. Thank you. I'm a mess. You're a mess over there.
2: I can't help it. (laughs) Uh, I love that you're annoyed by it. I can, uh, I can see your irritation. I'm fine.
1: fine. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I am fine. I'm not. I, I'm not upset. But it is pretty funny. It's uh, like a. It'll be like a plague series. Like it's the burps. Then it'd be
2: sneezes.
1: Oh, then I don't know what would follow that. Like maybe you break out. Like my kind eyes of like, start watering. Mm-hmm. I can't get it
2: to stop, so I can't read the some, stories. Some
1: kind of crazy rash. You have to like itch yourself. Like sometimes I get itchy. <laughs> but that'd be. So nuts, to like okay, it slams down, answers yes, and then just like all hell breaks loose, and then like the door shuts, right. and then the table starts bang, 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 and then the lights are flickering on and off, and then the you know like the door uh, fly, slams shut, and then more like flickering and bang. I mean, like you experience something like that, you are a believer for the rest of your life. Like you, it's, you it's,
2: have to it's, be yep. right because it's it is entirely inexplicable. Yep, even okay, like the uh, the lights flickering on and off, you could explain that away. Mm-hmm. But everything else, I feel like like the cold gust of wind, mm-hmm. why can't they open the door from either inside or outside? Mm-hmm. It's not just one direction. Yep. Things bouncing off the windows. Like, you can't – what? You can't break the window? Right. But the table – I right. mean, just watching so a table can... move up yeah, and down. Yeah, that on like its a... own.
1: That's the biggest one. If a table starts slamming up and down on its own, Jesus. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh,
2: I know, because I guess you could theoretically – Come up with a reason like why the windows wouldn't break. Like, oh, you weren't strong enough. Like, yeah. you could really try and justify it away. But the table moving yeah. up and down on its own.
1: And the combination of all that happening at the same time.
2: Yeah. yeah. It feels like something out of like a, um, a haunted house. Mm-hmm. You know, like. like
1: poltergeist activity. Like, I mean, that is classic poltergeist activity, that kind of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Like a, a haunted house where there's vignettes of different things. And you're just like walking oh, through. Yeah. And if you saw that being displayed in one little vignette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. okay i am so into this story okay so into it i think it's so fun it's definitely spooky uh we're gonna go to a cemetery but we're not going for like the purpose of ghost hunting or anything two young lovers are looking for a place to sneak away and the residents of the cemetery are not having it okay i love this i love this yeah yeah uh super fun I had an on-again, off-again relationship with one of the star players on the football team, Jerry. We went to the same small-town school, and our last names were alphabetically close, so we were never able to get away from each other. Lockers right next to each other for six years, similar classes, and we always seemed to be paired up together for projects. The summer going into my senior year, I went through a pretty rough breakup, and I started dating Jerry. We went on dates and hung out quite a bit, but I was very much dating other people as well. He was pure rebound. The Friday we started school, I went to the first home football game. It was a late August night in northern Indiana, and the air was still warm. The boys won the game, which was extra exciting an extra exciting way to start off the season. Maybe it was because of the excitement. Maybe it was how well he played and how in his element he seemed. Maybe I felt some weird sense of pride wearing his number 55 away jersey. Maybe it was how good he looked dripping sweat in his uniform. <laughs> Maybe I was just horny. Whatever it was, there was magic in the air, and I can honestly say that I was attracted to Jerry. He stopped before going into the locker room to talk to me. We're going to go celebrate the victory at Betcher's house. You want to go together? I didn't want. I just didn't. It just didn't sound like a good time. I kissed him on the cheek and whispered in his ear I have a better idea. Go get showered and meet me out here. I'll wait. <laughs> And so he did just that.
1: Jerry, Jerry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now it was later on a Friday night and both sets of parents were home. So my house and his house were off limits for what I wanted to happen. But since I had done a Halloween feature in my broadcasting class the prior year on a small graveyard not too far from my house, I knew it was the perfect place to go. I found peace and solace in that small cemetery and would go to it whenever I needed quiet time, alone time. I never had any paranormal experiences. It was a quaint old graveyard surrounded by boisterous cornfields. The headstones were, the headstones were for the most part, illegible. At that time, there were virtually no houses nearby, and when I would go on clear nights, the stars glistened like millions of fireflies in the sky. It was rather mystical. The graveyard had a reputation for being haunted. Apparently, if you threw a nickel on the baby's grave, you would hear crying, Mm. and a lot of people had spotted apparitions. It was a regular party spot and had experienced a lot of vandalism throughout the years. So at this point, it had been gated and padlocked. Legend also says that neighbors will chase you away, but I had never experienced this and imagined it was only true for those wreaking havoc in in the graveyard, throwing parties and making lots of noise. If you wanted to get in, you could most certainly just climb the fence or you could contact the city." We had, uh, we had contacted the city to get in for our feature the year before, but never disrupted the site itself, and I had zero intention on actually entering the graveyard that particular night. I had him follow me in his car, and once we got to the spot, we parked our cars and got out to talk. I told him that it was my secret spot and that he was the first person I let in on my secret "'He pinned me against my silver SUV and we started to kiss, "'my heart already beating rapidly "'when all of a sudden voices could be heard in the background. "'He paused and pulled his lips from mine. "'What did you say?' he asked. Mm -hmm. "'Jerry, your tongue was in my mouth. "'How the hell could I have said anything?' "'I started to walk around the cemetery. "'I heard it too. "'Is someone here? "'Did you see any headlights?' "'No,' he followed me, but my eyes were closed. "'I paused. "'We stood still looking at each other in silence, "'listening to our surroundings.' Now, it was late summer, which was full of mosquitoes and crickets and all sorts of noisy bugs and animals, but it was dead silent. It was like the world had been put on mute. This probably should have scared me, but I was a weird kid, and it only made me feel more sentimental, like it was a message from the world that it was supposed to be our time. (laughs) The moon was illuminating us, and the weather was perfect. I took his hand and led him back to my car. I grabbed a blanket from the back seat and laid it on the ground. I got on my knees and tugged his hand to do the same. We began kissing again. He ran his fingers against the small of my back and shifted his hand up towards my bra clasp. His fingers fumbled as he tried to undo it when we heard footsteps in the cornfield next to us. He got to his feet and shouted toward the field, Hello? Is anyone there? He walked towards it, and something whispered his name. Jerry. Jerry. I got to my feet and followed him, grabbing his hand. Did you tell anyone where we were going, or did someone follow us? I asked. Sammy, I had no idea where we were going, and all the guys figured I was finally getting laid. They had a party to go to. No one followed us. Besides that, we would have noticed. He had a valid point. I should be asking if it's one of your other boyfriends. Secret spot, huh? Is that just a line you use on every guy you drag out to the cemetery? As much as that should have hurt me, he wasn't wrong. But the guys I messed around with didn't seem like the stalker types, and we would have noticed if we were being followed. "'Why don't we just get in the car "'and drive up and down the road a bit? "'This field stretches for miles. "'If someone's messing with us, "'we'll either see their cars "'or we'll see them leave,' I suggested. "'He agreed and we hopped in the car. "'No one was there. "'We drove about five miles in each direction. "'He parked the car "'and I sat in his passenger seat "'staring out at the graveyard. "'Our hot breath was fogging up his windows.' Should we just try this another night when our parents aren't home or something? I have to work in the morning, but I don't know. Maybe we could go see a movie, he asked, breaking the silence. I made the move this time, moving my face towards his. We proceeded to get hot and heavy for about five minutes when everything seemed to happen at once. Something banged on the car door. Oh, my God. Startling us, we pulled apart and I gripped the car seat. We looked out. Headlights flashed into the car, temporarily blinding us. The headlights got closer and closer and then just vanished as they looped around the cemetery. It was a small dirt road. One road. A single road that wrapped around the gated graveyard. There was absolutely nowhere for a car to go unless it went into the fields, which, come late August, with the corn as healthy as it was, Mm -hmm. was impossible to do without leaving a trail or damaging a vehicle. What the fuck was that? Jerry asked me, clearly frightened by the events. I don't know. I'd never experienced anything like that prior and was scared to get out of the car, regardless of whether it was paranormal or it was people. We held hands and watched the world around us. The corn shuffled, but the two trees in the corner of the cemetery remained entirely still. We heard what sounded like voices yelling, but the words were unrecognizable, almost muffled. Then... Emerging from the cornfield, an apparition floated through the gate towards a headstone. It was too far away to really label with the gender, but it was definitely the shape of a human. It was transparent, white, and moved slowly. Although it was clearly off the ground, it moved as though it were walking. It floated above a tombstone and disappeared. And after that, all stood still again. I turned to him. Did you see that? Am I going fucking crazy? He didn't respond, but his face said it all. He looked shocked and terrified. Uh, uh. Maybe we should go. This time there were no moves or wait. There were no moves or waiting even attempted. I kissed him on the cheek, pulled his jersey up over my head, and handed it to him. Stripped down to my miniskirt, flip flops, and tank top, I opened his car door to bitter cold. Goosebumps raised on my skin, not from fear, but from the obvious temperature drop and one less layer of clothing. I gathered my blanket and climbed into my own car. He turned on his car and drove off almost before I even had time to put my key in the ignition. (laughs) I sat in my car for a few minutes after he pulled away, silently thanking and apologizing to whatever was there. Not only had my intent been to be disrespectful in the graveyard, but it surely would have resolved in an incredibly messy situation because that magic that I felt earlier with Jerry seemed to disappear with his headlights. I stared at the tombstones, hoping to catch a glimpse of that entity once again, but no luck all was silent. When I finally seemed to wake from my trance, I started my car. The temperature gauge read 52 degrees. I turned on my headlights and slowly backed out. As I drove further down the road, the temperature crawled higher and higher until it was a perfect 70 degrees in my driveway, which was only about a mile or two away. Despite the heart and stomach events of that night, I still went back often. I still felt that peace when I did, and I never saw nor heard anything after that. I felt like whatever was there that night was saving me from an unfavorable situation. Jerry seemed to take it as a sign as well because he quickly became comfortable in the friend zone, and or maybe he just couldn't handle a creepy girl that liked to bring dates to the graveyard.
1: <laughs> and and that was Sam, right?
2: Sammy, yeah. Yeah,
1: Sammy. Uh
2: Or Sam, I don't know what they go by now.
1: Yeah, that's uh that's yeah, that's crazy. Uh that's, it's crazy that, that uh, they heard some voice calling specifically for Jerry. I know. And then the and then that those lights I could I could she set the scene really well where I it's know like, it was a
2: great story well written
1: m- mm-hmm, when the corn like when the corn stalks are really healthy and tall mm-hmm. and stuff it's like yeah you can't like just drive into them I mean you would leave a, a massive trail it would be mm-hmm. obvious that like mm-hmm. someone smashed all that fucking corn right and your car probably would get stuck
2: uh, yeah like, but you'd only get so far but it'd be like oh yeah. shit I'm stuck
1: yeah even if yeah exactly and so and I can picture that little like just one lane little service where they I mean honestly sadly you I mean, probably like. Like for the hearse, is like bringing in the right, bodies. Right. And when there's funerals and like to have the, you know, certain things brought in. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a proper road. It's not like a, it's just this um, two ruts mm-hmm. that go around. And so there wouldn't be room to, yeah, that's, yeah, really painted a picture of like what else could have explained that. And then the temperature drop 54 to 72, I uh, think. To
2: 70. Or no, 50, 70. 52 to 70.
1: 16 degrees in a mile. That's crazy.
2: That's wild.
1: Yeah, there's not going to be a little microclimate situation like that that's going to account for that.
2: <laughs> no, especially not like outside dead of summer. It's not like it's in some controlled environment where it's like, "Oh, the you know, they had a space heater on in this room." Yeah. There's no and It's
1: not like there was a flash storm where it's like all of a sudden there was like hail and like crazy like, you know, nope. s- storm and then it like passed really quick and the temperature raised a little bit. But that even that wouldn't make sense 16 degrees.
2: Yeah. This story was so yeah. um I felt so connected to it because where I grew up, yeah. it was there were So few places that you could sneak off to. Mm -hmm. And because we had this beautiful park system, yeah, like, parks and, you know, like, little, like, wooded areas were always... It's like, there were certain parking lots outside of, like, a park system where it's like, if you pulled in, there would be six cars, all the lights were turned off, (laughs) nobody was in them, and you were like, okay, (sighs) people are in these, like, various little, you know, spots in the woods, like, little clearings or whatever. Right. And I was just thinking about how... I mean, I got caught by the cops once in our car and that alone was terrifying to be like so deep in those like moments. you yeah. Your only concern is this person. And then sure. for someone to just bang on the window.
1: Yeah. Terrifying. I,
2: I mean, the name, the car getting banged on, the lights, the temperature. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that they saw that apparition was almost like whatever it was, well, it had come out to do whatever it was out to do and then went back to its tombstone and everybody left.
1: Yep. Yeah. What was it?
2: I don't know. Well, it was whoever whoever lives in that grave. <laughs> I guess lives. so.
1: Yeah. Do they have the hots for Jerry?
2: <laughs> or mm-hmm. was it like a fatherly protective type that was like Sammy?
1: Mm-hmm. Jerry, you get away from her.
2: Get away from my girl. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or just weird coincidence. Yep. I love that story. So, yeah,
1: those are good story. Good, good, good job balancing it out.
2: Thank you. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay,
1: do it. Uh, I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting our show on Patreon. We appreciate it very much. We have Faith Hearn, Emily Von Braun, Cece, Kimberly Fisher, Robin Meeksel, David Dixon, Michael Cruz Kehoe, Morgan, Megan Goodman, Melody Renner, Steve Stanley, Megan Lambert, Darcy O'Sullivan, uh, Jasmine Peralta, Nicholas Nichols, K.P., Michaela Turner, Sean O'Dell, Shanika Nelson, Deanna Bradley, Jen Orr, Stephen Horan, Lily Vaughn, Caleb Wilkerson, and Kelsey Raymond Hayes.
2: Alright, thank you so much. I'd like to thank the following Annabells for helping us donate to this month's charity. Giselle Lucas, Braddy Brianna, Christopher Melton, Beverlocks, Alyssa Scott, Jordan Price, Irene Patterson, Betsy Lou Brixen, Derek Callahan, Elizabeth Page Steele, Lindsay Trammell, Raj, Tori Chai, Joyce Stuckley, Cruel <laughs> La, Hel- uh, Heather Millar, David Stone, Elise Welsher, Ash, uh, Andrea Busby, Tyler Jones, Brent Duncan, The Watcher. <laughs> sasquatch aka hide and seek champ shoshana foreman jeff and dan byron
1: awesome and then you have spoopy shout outs
2: sure do just a few this week to sage from your dad fucking dave happy birthday (laughs) to morgan from jody kyle i hope you're paying attention i don't know what that's about (laughs) To Barbie from your sister, Brandy. Oh, you're a badass, and I promise you, I'm just a call away. I love you. Aww. She just moved away from her sister. Aww. And her sister's got a couple of kids, and I want to say that the husband's deployed, and so she's mm-hmm. doing a lot on her own.
1: And and maybe the one before, the uh, I hope you're paying attention, maybe that's a skeptic they're speaking to, like, mm. come on, be careful.
2: Or it's like, I hope that you're actually listening to what's going on in this show, because I just gave you the shout-out that you told me you wanted. Ah, that's what I imagine is like a couple, yep. and If one of them doesn't get to the end and listen to the shout outs and be like, well, I told you to pay a fucking attention.
1: All right. Uh, That is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodethpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodethpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Liz Hernandez for their work on social media, and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number three. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding both of the mysteries today and subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch this show in addition to listening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want to see the pictures from the shows and more content at Scared to Death Podcast. We have a private Facebook group Creeps and Peepers full of horror lovers that you can go befriend. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon, get the entire catalog, ad-free, and so much more. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye! If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings bleed through time and space. He only has through but has no home here within. Scared to death. Magic Productions Bad Magic Productions
0: Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators.